Amen. Amen. Open up to Genesis chapter uh, 15, if you have a Bible. Genesis chapter 15. We'll be looking at the whole chapter this morning, verses 1 through 21. Amen, Lana. And uh, Lana's excited. Me too, Lana. I told Lana this morning, I said, these hymns, you can't sing them quiet. Got to turn the organ up to 11 today. And indeed, she did. We praise the Lord. It, what a beautiful morning of singing and worship uh, we've had today. And so we're just praising God to be together this morning. Genesis 15, verses 1 through 21. If you have your Bibles open there, I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Moses writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars, and if you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Verse 12, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's pray. Oh God, today we ask you, would you please open our hearts and minds to receive your word and to be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
these days feel like they were designed for worry, don't they? I mean, it just feels like these days were made for us to worry. It's almost like you, you hear something happen on the news and, and you think, if, if, if I didn't know any better, it's like someone was trying to tempt us to worry. From COVID-19 to the election to our own futures, everywhere we turn, there's something new to worry about. Uh, furthermore, if you think about it, not only does just the events of the day seem to encourage us to worry, but so do those who present the news of the day to us, the media and everyone else. It, 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 we can't have anything just simple anymore. Everything has to be presented to us in epic language. But we, we, we can't just have elections anymore. We can only have the most important election in our lifetimes every four years. We can't have a pandemic. We, we have to have the most significant public health crisis the world has ever seen. And, and it's not just that, but it feels like everything is sensationalized at every turn. And depending on which channel you're on, different things are sensationalized. But we can't look at any single issue or hear about any single issue without somebody saying that the very future of our children or grandchildren hangs in the balance. Everything, everything. Don't drink regular Coke or you'll get sickness and die. But also don't drink Diet Coke because you'll get sick and die. Everything feels like it's designed to make us worry. Make us worry. And yet, God is God. God will always be God. And here this very morning, thousands of years later and thousands of miles away from where God met Abram and Abram met God, here we are worshiping the very same God who was faithful to Abraham. And, and this morning, we, we turn our attention to the commitment that God has made with His people. The covenant that God has made with Abraham and ultimately with all of His people through His Son, Jesus Christ. We turn today to the covenant love of God. Nothing, nothing can change God's covenant love. God has made a commitment. Now, have you ever made a commitment to do something and then you didn't do it? I bet you have, haven't you? Something, something at some time. We've all done that. But once God makes a commitment, the Bible teaches us, it's as good as done. There's no lack of knowledge in God where he might just forget his commitment. There's no lack of willingness in God where he may cease to be loved. There's no lack of power in God where he might, might make a commitment and later turns out he just wasn't as able as he thought he might be. God will never be, you know, Michael Scott promising scholarships. Turns out he's not rich enough to give them. No, God is God. And there's no lack in God that will keep God from keeping his promises. And he uses a word here. The scripture teaches us about God's commitment to his people through a concept called a covenant. And this morning we're going to look at three truths that are going to help lead us to know God better and trust God more no matter what circumstances we may face, no matter how worrisome we may find, our, worrisome we may find the times, no, no, no matter how anxious we may find ourselves, we need to look at God. 
We need to look at God. There's a temptation when you're a preacher. Uh, there's a temptation, I think, every Sunday just to preach on whatever everybody's thinking about. You know? And I think we can all, all kind of know, and I've mentioned some things we're all thinking about. And so there's a real temptation, I think, to come to church each week and just whatever it is people are thinking about, let's preach on that because that's a good way to keep people sort of engaged and focused. I'm not going to do that, though. You know what I'm going to preach about today? I'm going to preach about God. Because that's what you need to think about. No no matter where your mind is, no matter where your heart is, and I'm not saying there are things in this world that aren't important. Some of you may say, well, he's young, he just doesn't understand yet. I understand that. But listen, I hope I'm always so young and immature and short-sighted that instead of thinking about whatever the world's telling me to care about this week, I think about God instead. I'll take it. That's what I want to encourage you to do. Let's turn our attention to the Lord. Here's the first thing I want you to think about this morning. Trust the one who makes us righteous. Trust the one who makes us righteous. After the events of chapter 14 where Abram deals with some big international sorts of news-making headlines, God comes to him in a vision. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram is, um, what's the word for it? Um, Abram's ready for answers. He's heard a lot of promises. Abraham's ready for, he, he's tired of getting coupons in the mail. He's ready to go to the store, okay? He's ready to actually get something tangible. So he does something that many of us would maybe shrink back from. He asks God a tough question. Well, and we'll talk a little more about the questions Abram asks God in a moment. But, but right now, just suffice it to say, he asks God a tough question. How can this be so? How, all these promises you speak of, how can they be so if I don't have an heir? I mean, God, I know, I love I love these promises. These are great. But you say that I'll have an heir. And look, all I've got over here is Eliezer of Damascus. And the scene cuts to Eliezer. Maybe he's picking his nose or something. I don't know. But he, he is not sufficient for what Abraham wants, right? All I've got is Eliezer over there from Damascus of all places. And so the Lord tells Abram, he reiterates to him, your very own son will be your heir. Reiterates to him. And then he decides, well, you can't see an heir today, but I'll show you something else. And so he takes Abram outside. Now, whether or not this is happening in a vision, because later it talks about the sun setting. So I don't know if this is in a dream or a vision or if it's night and these are happening two separate times. It's kind of hard to tell. Nonetheless, this is a picture of God's dealings with Abram. But, but he takes Abram out and says, look, look up to the heavens. Look upward. And if you could count the stars, then you'd be able to count all the descendants I'm giving you. In other words, you're so focused on having one heir, but I promise you, I want you to trust me that there is a day coming where not only would one heir be something beyond you, what you could conceive of right now, God's saying you, you, the expanse of the heavens can't contain what it is I'm going to do through you, Abram. And verse 6 is one of the central 
theological verses of the entire Bible. We learn something so beautiful here about the way God works and the way we're saved. Do you see what the Scripture says? Verse 6, And he believed the Lord. It's, it's a good thing to believe the Lord. It's a good thing to trust the Lord. But what does the Lord do in return? And God counted it to him as righteousness. So often we think that the idea of being saved, of, of becoming righteous before God, by God's grace and through faith and trust in God, is an, uh, uh, an entirely New Testament concept. Uh, so often we think that this is something that just shows up in the New Testament, sort of foreign to the Old Testament. There are entire systems of theology that want to separate, put a hard line between the Old Testament and the New Testament and say all that God did in the Old Testament was by works. And so now we're by grace alone, through faith alone. But my friends, that is not true. In fact, if you go read the New Testament and read the Old Testament, you'll see the way that the apostles over and over and over again root their arguments in the Old Testament. Just sit down one afternoon and read the book of Galatians and see the way that Paul is rooting his argument in the Old Testament. He's showing them. And here we see a keystone verse for what it means to understand the God of grace and the covenant God and what he means for his people that Abraham did nothing except trust the Lord. In that very moment, Abram looked at the stars. He heard the word of the Lord. <clears throat> and he believed what the Lord said. And God counted it to him. It's righteousness. Don't you see that God doesn't go out looking for the best, the most righteous, the most faithful, but God makes us righteous when we believe? It's not by works, lest anyone should boast, even Abraham, but God makes us righteous. It has always been and always will be true that salvation is by grace through faith alone. And there may be someone in this room right now who's holding out on the fact that they'll be able to justify themselves by works one day, thinking perhaps falsely that that's how God saved people in the Old Testament. Maybe he'll save me that way. But God did not save people in the Old Testament by works. He didn't even save Abraham by works. He showed Abraham a future that Abraham couldn't see that day. Abraham believed that God is a God who keeps his promises, and God counted it to him as righteousness not so much different than the experience you had when you were saved. When you heard a story about a Savior, you trusted Him. And God counted it to you as righteousness in that moment. Trust the one who makes us righteous. And second of all, trust the one who has answers. Abraham asks God some pretty pointed, serious questions. You see, the first question in 2 and 3. Lord, I, I hear you talking about these promises, but where's the heir? Where, where is it? But then Abraham asks God another question. Even after he's trusted the Lord, he's put his faith in God. God counted his faith as righteousness. And then you scoot down into verse 8, and Abraham asks again, O oh Lord God. This land that you say I'm going to possess, 
how am I to know that I shall possess it? That's two hard questions that Abraham asks God. And the Lord's going to give him his answer. God's going to show him how he can know these things. But first, I, I want us to stop for a moment and just consider the fact that we ought to trust the one who has answers. You see, a, a lot of folks come to me and they ask questions. I mean, just lots of people ask questions. They want to ask the preacher questions. And sometimes people perceive those questions as questions they ought not ask. I think there's kind of a myth in Christian circles. There's some things you just ought not to ask. Sometimes you ought to just trust the Lord and be done with it and not ask any questions at all. But I don't think that's a biblical answer. I really don't. I, I, I don't think you ought to be afraid to ask questions. I, I don't think you ought to feel like you need to apologize for asking serious questions about the Lord or even of the Lord. Abraham didn't. Uh, God, doesn't even, God doesn't even chastise Abraham for asking these questions. I think so often our questions lead us to a deeper faith. I think they're a good thing. It's a good thing to ask the Lord questions, but here's what I want to encourage you. There is a warning. Be ready for the Lord's answers. Be ready for what God says back. It may not always be. So, so often what, what happens, though, is those of us who tend to want to ask questions, and I'm one of those people, we can develop a sort of pride where we think, really, we are the one who's smart and we are the one who's wise. And that God owes us answers to these things. And that's not always the case. There's plenty of times in the Bible when people ask God a question and He doesn't answer. He doesn't have to. But here God pulls back the curtain a little bit with Abram and says He's asked these hard questions, but God in verses 12 through 16 reminds Abram that He needs patience. That all these promises don't have a shelf life that ends in Abraham's lifetime. That Abraham may not see and experience. In fact, he will not see and experience all that God has promised him. In fact, God goes on and tells Abraham that his people are going to be strangers and sojourners in another land for 400 years. Rounds off the figure there. But he says he will give judgment on the nation they serve. God's predicting the exodus, right? He's showing the way that, that even though Abraham will be buried in a good old age, he'll go to his fathers in peace, he won't see all the answers in his life. Many of us have questions about the world, about God, about the way things are. Some of you young people that are here have deep questions and you're afraid to ask them. Don't be. Don't be afraid to ask the Lord. Don't be afraid to ask your pastor. I spent a lot of hours getting pieces of paper that say I have degrees. At least let me use them every once in a while. Come ask. Come ask. Don't sit alone with your doubts. Take your doubts to the Lord. Trust the one who has the answers. But finally, trust the one who keeps his covenant. Trust the one who keeps his covenant. Abram asks the Lord, this question, how will I know? And God says to him, bring me a heifer, bring me a goat, bring me a ram, bring me a turtle dove, bring me 
a pigeon, and he has him cut the large animals in half, and the birds stay intact, and he puts them where the Lord would have him put them. Birds of prey come down, Abram drives them away, and then we learn why God is doing that. It seems strange, doesn't it? Because God hasn't quite given him his answer yet. The sun's going down. This deep sleep falls on Abram. Dreadfulness and great darkness falls upon him. And the Lord reminds him that he will not see all the answers to the promises in his life. In other words, seeing with his eyes is not the answer. What is the answer? How can Abram know that God keeps his promises? When the sun had gone down, verse 17, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Fire is often representative of the presence of God. They passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, I want you to know something about the way that treaties were made in the ancient Near East. Remember last week, we were talking about this guy named Cater Laomer and how there were different countries who paid tribute to him. This would have been something like what would have been called a, a suzerainty covenant in those days where a greater king and lesser kings would have an agreement, whereby the lesser kings would pay tribute and other things in exchange for things from the greater king. And so often these covenants were made or cut in a ceremony that involved cloven animals like this. And what would happen is they would make an agreement, right? This is like becoming blood brothers on the playground, kind of, right? We, we, this is an unbreakable promise. In, in such a way that as... This promise was being made, the lesser king in the midst of the ceremony would walk in the midst of the animals and would essentially say to the greater king, in theory, this is what will happen to me and worse if I break my end of the covenant, right? And so God has Abraham set this situation up. And yet you'll note that Abraham, the far lesser suzerain, the far lesser king, the far lesser ruler, never walks between the carcasses. It's the Lord's presence that goes between the carcasses. In other words, Abram, you want answers. You want to see, you want to know what are the answers that God gives him. If I'm able to fling this many stars into the sky, don't you think I can make descendants for you? And if I'm able to create you, don't you think I'm able to sustain you? And you want to see these things with your eyes. But here's what you get. Something better. The promise and the commitment of God. That He loves Him, that He's committed to Him, and that He will keep the covenant no matter what. Don't you see the way that God is promising His presence to Abraham? And, and don't you see the way that God is making His own guarantee? God is making His own guarantee as He walks through the carcasses. God is saying, if this covenant is broken, I will keep it. And don't we as Christians see the way that God Himself 
did that very thing. When we were unfaithful, when we were wicked, when we were sinful, when Abraham's descendants, as the Scripture says, played the harlot and ran from the Lord, God Himself sent His Son into the world to be broken for our sin. God took the punishment we deserve so that He would keep His covenant with us. Don't you see the beauty of the Bible? God's covenant is unbreakable. He has committed. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land. And it is all of this land. If you want to know that you'll receive it, know that I am committed to it. And what God says goes. And what God promises happens. Today, my friends, I want you to look at God. You want to see all these things in your hands? You want to see it right before you? You you want to taste it? You want to hold it? You want to touch it? And I understand that. But today I want you to know that you may not get all that you feel like you've been promised in this life. You may not get what you want this week. You may not get what you want this month. You may not get what you want ever in this life. You may be worried. You may feel uncertain. You may feel like the world seems to be shaking underneath you. You may feel like whatever it is you've built is about to collapse all around you. But I want to admonish you this morning, look to God. Look to the unshakable kingdom. Look to the trustworthiness of the Lord. Look to your unchanging God. Look to the certainty of His covenantal love. God has made promises and He keeps them. He keeps them. Nothing will change God's covenant. And you sit here today as heirs to a promise that God made thousands of years ago. And in that time, kingdoms have risen and kingdoms have fallen. Fortunes have been made and fortunes have been lost. There are entire civilizations that not only no longer exist, but the memory of them no longer exists in the world. There are nations that seem so great when Abram was keeping flocks in the desert, that have long since passed away, like Ozymandias being ground down by time. And yet the promises of God remain. All the way here in Gadsden, Alabama in 2020. Today, I want you to look at God. I want to offer an invitation this morning. You've never put your trust and faith in this God who keeps His promises for the first time. I want you to know His arms are open wide and He's waiting on you to come home today. You can put your trust and your faith in Jesus who has brought the covenant home to our hearts. I'd love to talk to you after church is over today. If you need someone to talk to about following and trusting Jesus, I'd love to talk to you today. Second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I I need to grow in my trust to the Lord. Right where you are this morning, you trust the Lord more. You pray to Him. You call out to Him. And if you need someone to talk to, I'll be here for you, either today or later this week. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. 
I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to do business with the Lord right where you are. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for your covenantal love for your people. And God, it's our hope and our prayer, Father, that for those who have never encountered it for the first time, Father, that you'll draw them to yourself today. Father, for those who know it, but it seems to be cold in their hearts, God, I pray that you would blow their affections into flame and their trust into flame today. And finally, God, we pray that you would move in the hearts of those who you're calling to be a part of this fellowship. And Lord, we pray that you'd be with them and work in their hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.